right, welcome, welcome, welcome to North Village Church. We got some uh, guides for our elementary, uh, so feel free to use that if you're uh, in an elementary age, help you to follow along. Even if you're an adult, there's like crossword puzzles, it's, it's fantastic. We got Alex over there, Asa, watching you guys throughout the wor- worship service, I like it, I like it. So good, is school started for everybody? Is everybody in the full swing of going back to school, fighting the pickup lanes, Right, got to wake up early. Does anybody have homework yet? We already got homework yet. That's not right. Come on. The first week of school, you already got homework. Come on now. I think going back to school is so much fun. Because for me, when I was going back to school, it was buying clothes. Do we still still buy clothes for back to school? (laughs) Woo! That was like, I grew up with a single mom. So the only time you got clothes was going back to school, right? And so that was... That was, ex- yeah, right? Get, and I grew up, I went to high school in the 90s, so a good pair of Jerbeau. Y'all remember Jerbeau? Yeah. Middle school, I had to bust out some Z Cavaricci. Z Cavaricci cost like $70, man. It was ridiculous. That's 1990 $70. So that's like $700 today. You know, it's just expensive. But I loved it. I love going back to school. You get new socks, right? And you lay it out the night before, see how your outfit's going to fit together. It's so fun. It's fun going back to school. See, I, you have the internet today. So, like, when I was a kid, going back to school was like going back to society. Like, you didn't have smartphones back then, so you didn't know what everybody was doing. And so you wanted to go back to school to, like, oh, people grew, people were dating, people broke up. It's exciting. So back to school. I hope you're having a good time. We're not talking about back to school this morning. We're talking about money Uh, Just like Dan and Roberto told you, we're going to do a three-week series on money. Money is an important subject to talk about. Money is all through God's Word. Money is every part of our life today, so it's important to have a biblical understanding of money. And money is just complicated, right? Money is one of those uh, areas of life where it's it's easy to, uh, you know, judge other people, right? And you see somebody, you're like, why'd you spend so much money on that car? Like, why you spend so much money on that shirt? Why'd you spend so much money on that vacation? Like, we conveniently overlook where we spend money uh, on certain things. Those things are important. Like, when you spend $15 at Starbucks, like, that's, well, I need that, right? But we can look down, see how easy it is? You just like, I can't believe you. That's what money does to us, right? Money's one of those areas where, you know, somebody always has more money, right? I mean, there's somebody in this room wins the prize of having the most money. Right, And just when you start to feel like, I got the most money, you realize like, oh, somebody in Austin has more money than you, and somebody in Texas has more money than them, and somebody in the, you know, it's just like, it's never ending, right? And especially our day-to-day, money is so complicated, because for most of human history, everybody, like, made... I mean, generally, like, the same amount of money. For most of human history, you just wanted food... You wanted shelter and maybe, like, a clothing, right? If you, for generation after generation, after, like, your parents and their kids, like, if you had food, clothing, and shelter, you were winning at life. But in the last, like, 150, 200 years, economic growth has been off the charts so that, that just money is expected. Like we're just expecting we should have a lot of money and we should be making more money. So much so that when it comes to food, today we find ourselves thinking like, well, I don't want to eat that food. Right? That's 
so unique to most of human. I don't want to live in that house. I kind of wanted a pool. Like, it's too, I, I, you can't expect me to wear those clothes, right? For most of human history, just any type of clothing. That, like, thank you, Lord. But not in our day, right? And so that money, money is an interesting part of life. And we're going to get into God's word uh, this morning. And, and we're going to. We're going to talk about money, like just like what Dan and Roberto. It's not on the surface, and so hang in there with me, but it's going to get us there. So we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a devotional, this is our guide. We're coming to the end. Last three weeks, go to 199. You can jump in. Next Sunday, we'll start handing out our new devotional. We plan sermon teachings a year in advance, and so this is a great resource for our church family. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses... Uh, 1 to 14, let's start with 1 to 4. The Apostle Peter writes, Beloved, this is now the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by a way of a reminder. And it's to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Now, this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, <laughs> following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from beginning of creation. So that's a lot. So just big picture, Second Peter, it's written by Peter. That's the kind of insight you get at North Village. Write that down. Second Peter, it comes right after First Peter, right? There you go. You're catching on. First Peter is written to a people who are going through incredible persecution. And then Second Peter is written to those people to encourage them by reminding them that Jesus is going to return. Right? That Jesus is going to return in all his glory. Right? Right? And, and it's, you might be thinking, I thought we were talking about money. Well, we are because the idea that Jesus is going to return in all his glory, right, that shapes how we spend money. Does that make sense? So you see that phrase in verse 3, he says, the last days, right, the last days, that's a description of where we are now. So that, you know, Jesus eternally existed, he steps out of the heavens, he's born, he lives a perfect life, he dies on the cross for our sin, he conquers death in the resurrection, and then, and then he ascends into the heavens, so that from that point till now is considered the last days. Like, we are in the last days, and we are waiting for Jesus to return. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians. We just finished studying 1 Corinthians, and it was a big focal point that one day Jesus is going to return, and he's going to make everything perfect, and his glory is going to be made visible, made known, seeable to all people, right? So this is our ultimate hope. Where we are this morning, it's not who's going to run for president. It's not how you look in your clothing. It's not where you're going to go on vacation. It's that one day Jesus is, is going to make everything perfect. That His glory is going to be made visible. It's going to fill the earth. Like This is our, our ultimate hope in his return. Now, it's possible that doesn't land on you this morning. Right? The promise of Jesus' return might seem like a distant promise. It, it might seem 
Maybe you're a little skeptical. Maybe you have some doubts. Maybe it seems so far. You're like, man, I'm just trying to make it through the day, much less try to like, take into account that Jesus is going to return, right? It's, it's hard, right? It's, I mean, for 2,000 years, we've been holding on to this promise that one day he's going to return. It would make sense if we had some, some doubts, right? Especially like throughout history, there's been people who've made claims that the end of the world was coming. And it hasn't happened yet, right? right? We're still here. You remember at March 21st, 1843? You remember this? You remember this? William Miller, it's a guy named William Miller, he predicted the end of the world. And 100,000 people believed wholeheartedly, and they followed William Miller. And then when it didn't happen, he said, I meant 1844, right? And we're still here, right? It didn't, it didn't happen. You got April 9th, 1910. You guys remember that one? Halley's Comet comes every 75 years. Well, in 1910, Halley's Comet was going to get really close. And so they're like, this is it. This is when it's going to happen. It didn't, right? 1988, March 25th, one man proclaimed that God was going to return on a television set, right? So you're at home watching Dora the Explorer, and the, bam, that's how God's going to make his appearance is through the television Spoiler alert, that didn't happen, right? March 26th, March is a crazy season, man. Be careful when you're in March. Like, crazy things happen. March, March 1997, a religious group, little Debbie Downer, called Heaven's Gate, they all took their lives because they were so convinced that the end of the world was coming, that Jesus was going to come back. December 12th, 2012, you guys remember this one? You guys, you guys are old enough to know Mayan calendar. Only went to 12, 12, 12. Oh, that's so mysterious. The end of the world. That must be it, right? Didn't happen. Even in our own year, December 31st, 2023. Did y'all see? It's one, two, three. One, two, three. Get ready. Right, right? It's very, it's really easy for people to make these claims like the end of the world's coming. Right? Remember in Y2K? Y2K, year 2000, computers didn't know how to work after the year 2000, I guess. And we all went out and bought water and tuna, you know, and ready for the, the world to end. Nike did a commercial during Y2K about the world coming to an end. And it starts off, and there's this man who's getting ready for the day. The alarms goes off. He's putting on his shorts to go for a run. And next man, alarm goes off. He goes and gets his shoes on. He's going for a run. It pans to the city, New York City. They're running through New York City, right? And everything's neglected, overgrown. The world's falling apart. You know, leaves, branches everywhere. Cars broken down. And then these two runners pass each other. Do y'all remember this commercial? These two runners pass each other. And they're like, hey, Fred. Hey, Mark. And they just, because when the end of the world is coming, you still keep working out. That's the commercial that Nike <laughs> They said, just keep going like nothing stops you. That's a little bit of what Peter's getting at, right? If you go back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, look at verse 1 again. He says, Beloved, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you in which I am stirring up a sincere reminder, right? That word, that phrase, stirring up, it, it means in the literal language to wake up, right? Because it's easy to get lulled to sleep. It's easy to hear these promises that Jesus is going to return. I mean, the Apostle Peter, or Apostle Paul, he told us in 1 Corinthians that we don't know when he's going to return, 
right? It's going to be like a twinkling of an eye. In a moment, Jesus is going to come back. So we don't know when, but we can hold confident that it's going to happen. So the Apostle Peter, he's writing to wake them up. This is just like the second generation of people. They're already getting lulled to sleep and getting distracted. He's trying to remind them, like, don't lose focus. It's going to happen. And he points them to two things. He points them to the Old Testament. You see that in verse 2? Right? The words of the prophets. We don't have time to get into it this morning, but if you went to the Old Testament, you would see promise after promise after promise. You got Isaiah 13, Jeremiah 46, Amos chapter 5. Old Testament, over and over, that a Savior is going to come and he's going to return, right? He says, look, God's word tells us to put our heart and our trust in these things. It's going to happen. Not only that, the, the Apostle Peter, he points to Jesus himself. Jesus said he would return. He said, I'm going, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back. John chapter 14. So the Apostle Peter says, look, I know it's easy to get lulled to sleep. I know it's easy to get distracted, but let's look at the Old Testament. Let's put our confidence in God's word, right? Let's look to Jesus, Jesus himself. Our Savior, our Lord, he said he's going to return. So let's anchor our heart in those truths. It's easy to get distracted. That's why he brings up mockers. You see the mockers in verse 3? Knowing that first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. Right? A mocker is somebody who is like making fun of God's word. Jesus is going to return. Yeah, right. Lily, you with me? Like Jesus is going to return. So they would make fun that Jesus, that's not going to happen, right? You make light of God's word. When we ignore God's word, when we're indifferent towards God's word, we're mocking God's word. And I know this because I too was a mocker. Like I didn't grow up going to uh, church. I didn't grow up hearing about Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with the Bible. And then when I was in high school, a friend of mine came to faith in Jesus and then wanted to talk to me about Jesus. And I was like, oh, come on already. All the time. We would be out hanging, having fun, wearing our Z Richie, you know, dressed up, looking fly. And then out of nowhere, he's like, you know Jesus is coming back. And I'm like, dude, come on, man. Seriously? I mean, first of all, I can't even believe that you believe in Jesus. That was that guy. I was making fun of him for believing. We don't even know if he's a real person. And I was like, second of all, if he is a real person, he's dead, right? And third of all, you're crazy for believing that Jesus is going to come back from the dead. That's crazy. That's bonkers. And I would just laugh at him, and I would mock him. But you know who's laughing now? My friend. My friend, we still talk today, and here I am as a pastor. My life was transformed in Christ. And so I hope, I hope you have some mockers in your life, right? As you are a follower of Jesus, as you're trusting in God's word, as you're proclaiming that Jesus came and he will return again, I hope you have some people laughing at you. I hope our young people, our teenagers, I hope we're living out our faith boldly so that when you're in school, that there's some people that are just cracking jokes at you and laughing at you because it's easy to be a mocker as one who was a mocker. It's easy to sit on the sidelines of life, but God's word is true. Like Jesus is going to return. 
right? He has evidence, right? Evidence of what's happened in the past, and we can put our heart, we can put our trust in those things. Hold fast to God's word. Look at verses 5, 6, and 7. 5, 6, and 7, the apostle Peter writes, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction for ungodly people. These are heavy words. The Apostle Peter, he responds to the mockers of their day with two points of evidence. And it's possible you're sitting there and you're like, Michael, I thought we were talking about money. I mean, can you think of anything more important that's going to shape how we spend money than the hope, than the promise of Jesus' return, right? And so the Apostle Peter, he says, look, at, you can be mocking the claim of Jesus' return, but look at the two things he brings up. He brings up creation and he brings up the flood, right? Do you see it? Look at creation, right? Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is hovering over the depth and darkness of its day. And he speaks creation into existence. Let there be light. And there was light. Therefore, the apostle Peter writes, Are you going to mock God's creation? Like, I know a lot of us went to public school. I know a lot of you have been taught the theory of evolution, right? That we evolved, you know, through microbes, through a, a big bang, and, and, and it's taught as fact. But, like, God's word teaches us that we have a creator, right? And that, uh, that, that, that evolution has this great clause of, like, well, over millions and millions and millions and millions of years, that's how we evolved. I mean, if you had anything that happened over millions and millions and millions of years, that's like the scapegoat of like, well, I mean, I'm sure if you took a glass of water, right, and you set it on a ledge and you put a microbe in it, I mean, I'm sure after millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years, that microbe would turn into a complex human being. That just makes sense, right? Right? That's why the apostle, apostle Peter is like, Look, we have a creator. He's like, were you there when he, he marked out the horizon? Were, were you there when he said to the waves, this far you shall come and no further? He says almost mockingly to them, or did that escape your notice, right? He says, we have a creator, right? He's, a, he's our creator. And the second one is the flood in Genesis chapter 6. Like, this is the evidence that, that God's word gives us of Jesus' return. We have creation and the reference to Noah and the flood, can you imagine how much mocking was taking place in the days of Noah? Noah is building a giant boat in the middle of a desert. Like, can you imagine how many jokes? Like, Noah, what are you doing? Noah, why are you working so hard? Noah, it's not that big a deal. I mean, Jesus references Noah and the flood. All right, this is an event that's happened. And so the, Peter's connecting the dots all the way into verse 7. He says, just as they doubted the work of his hand in creation, 
Just as people today will doubt the work of God as a creator. Just as they doubted the judgment that was coming in the days of Noah. He says judgment is going to come again. Do you follow that logic? He says they're like mile markers when you're driving down the road. They're like signposts. Like you see a creator, you see creation, that's evidence that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. You see the flood, Genesis chapter 6, referenced by Jesus, it happened. It's evidence he's going to do what he's going to do. And so in the same way, if he said he's going to return, he's going to return. Please don't take God's word lightly. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, in your questions about your faith, please don't ignore God's word. Please don't, 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 don't see God's word as a suggestion. Right? These are mile markers that, that he said what he's going to do, and he's going to do it, and Jesus is going to return. Look at verses 8 and 9. He keeps going. He says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Okay. These are heavy words. The Apostle Peter is reminding them that, that Jesus is going to return. He's not going to come as a baby in a manger this time. There's not going to be animals, you know, surrounding to peek on him as a baby. He's going to come in glory. He's going to come as judge. And he tells us, like, don't misunderstand. Like, he's not slow about his promises. All right, what he's getting at, that it would be easy for us today is to think like, well, there's lots of offensive things that happen today, and there's no consequences. That's the argument there, right? People lie today. We're arrogant. People murder. There's horrible things that happen. doesn't seem like there's no lightning bolts that fall down from the heaven, right? There's no, there's no immediate consequences. And so God's word is addressing that. It says, like, do not, do not, do not overlook that he's not slow about his promise as some count slowness. You see that in verse 9? One day is like a thousand years to the Lord. He's not being slow. He's being patient. I mean, underline that in your devotional. Circle that in your Bible. All of humanity has sinned against the holiness of God. We were created to be perfect. Each of us, we've all gone out on our own way from Genesis 3 on. So that all of humanity is layered in brokenness and pride and sexual immorality and arrogance and gluttony and stealing and lying. And it's just like over and over and over. And the Lord sees all those offenses. And so what he's saying there in 2 Peter is that he's being patient. I mean, he would be completely just in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve respond in sinful disobedience, and judgment takes place. But he doesn't. Instead, he's patient, right? That he's waiting generation after generation after generation. So that that word patient in the original language is the word macrothyme. Macrothyme. Macro being great, big, large, right? And thyme being 
anger. Right? That he has a great capacity. Right? That all, that all of humanity has offended the holiness of God. Right? And it, it bothers him. Right? When, when we neglect to give him the worship that he deserves. And so in those moments, he would be just to pour out his wrath, but he doesn't. Instead, he's patient. It's this macro thyme. He's not patient just for the sake of patience. Do you see that in verse 9? Why is he patient? He's patient from Genesis 3 on so that as many as possible would not perish, but would turn in repentance. Isn't that glorious? That the God of Scripture would be completely just to pour out his wrath, but he doesn't. He's waiting. He's waiting for as many as possible to turn in repentance. That word repentance means to turn. So it's a church word. It's a Bible word, but it simply means to turn from darkness to turn to Jesus, right? To turn from the, the depths of our despair, right? A life that's centered on ourselves, doing what we want, when we want it, and why we want it, right? It's called sin, and that we're turning from that to trust in Jesus. Like, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Because God, he sees, he's waiting, he's patient, and so Jesus steps out of the heavens, lives a perfect life, to stand in our place at the cross. That's the gospel. So that at the cross, macrothyme, right? Like a trash bag of our offenses, worthy of his judgment, is poured out on Jesus. That's why Jesus cries out at the cross. It is finished. It's propitiation. It is satisfied. That our judgment has been paid. That's the good news of Jesus. And so the Apostle Peter writes, he's, he's not slow as some count slowness. He's not indifference. He's not taking a nap. It's not that he doesn't care. He very much cares about our offenses. He's storing that up so that the gospel is that we're either, we're either trusting that Jesus has taken our judgment that we deserve at the cross, or we are going to take that judgment that we deserve. That's the hope of the gospel. Listen, if you've yet to believe in Jesus, you should do so right now. Like, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. It's like a twinkling of an eye, any moment. We want to live with that urgency, the apostles and every follower of Jesus since then. Until he returns, we live with his urgency that he can return at any moment. And so believe in him. Trust in Jesus. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Like, this is the opportunity. This is your chance to trust in him. Please do that this morning. He doesn't want any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, he keeps going. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. You don't know when a thief comes. A thief doesn't ask for permission, right? Just... He comes. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements will be destroyed and with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be discovered. Do you see the urgency of our passage this morning? You might be saying to yourself, I thought we were talking about money. You had this illustration of dollars dripping. Like, what is it? Like, can you think of anything more important? 
to shape how we spend money than the, 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 the reality that Jesus is going to return. Right, our culture right now is, is very interested in justice. Right? If you watch the news or you're on social media, you hear like the hope of righting the wrongs of, of humanity. Right? It's good. As a follower of Jesus, we can actually we can speak up for that. We want that also. Like, we, we're not okay. God's word is not okay with people being hurt and abused and, and, and neglected. But what our culture is doing today, it's, a, it's an ideology of social justice, right? It's the hope that humanity can somehow right the wrongs through our abilities, right? And one of those means is like the patriarchy has talked about, and men have ruined the world, and if we could just get rid of that patriarchy, right? That's, that's the movies, that's the TV shows, that's on the radio, that's in the articles, and that if women could rise up, the world would be a better place, right? And great, we love women, God's word loves women, but we all know women could rule the world, there's still going to be injustice in the world, right? We know that, right? That, that there's conversations around people of color and minorities and systemic racism. Yeah, we can speak out as a follower of Jesus. That is not okay. But if, if the world was ruled by people of color, it could happen. There's still going to be layers of injustice, right? We, we blame rich people, rich people, right? If we just get rid of all these rich people, the world would be a better place. The world could be ruled by poor people. That, that could happen. There's still going to be layers of injustice so that our greatest hope, our greatest hope is not that ideology of social injustice. Our greatest hope is that one day Jesus is going to return and all things will be made new and that every injustice of this world is taken into account. And it'll be made perfect. I mean, can you just imagine that with me? Like, imagine the world perfect. That's hard. Like, imagine the most glorious sunset, mountain, or ocean you've ever visited. It's all tainted in sin and brokenness right now. Right? The most beautiful scenery you've ever seen is still, Romans 8 says, it's groaning right, for redemption. And can you imagine when it's layered in glory? Oh, my gosh. Like, when Austin doesn't have allergies, oh, my gosh. Like, when, when, when the hill country is alive, like, with beauty instead of death, like, can you imagine? Like, it's going to be beyond. Like, can you imagine our human being? Like, how much of our emotions and our mind is swamped with, with anxiety and fear and shame and guilt? Like, we can't even sleep at night sometimes. We wake up tossing and turning, but there will come a day. When there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more hunger, no more racism, no more sexual abuse, no, no more, uh, you know, uh, uh, neglect of women or, 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 or overlooking people of color or, or inequality with economics. Like one day, everything, can you imagine like, that's what Peter, with urgency. And so he gets with that to verses 11 to 14, and he writes, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the day, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? 
But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our hope. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found spotless and blameless by him and at peace. How does our passage connect us to money? Look at verse 11. What sort of people ought you to be? As a follower of Jesus, with hearts and minds that are rooted that he's going to return. What sort of people should we be? How does that change how we look at our past? Look at our present. Go to our jobs. Spend money. Give money. Save money. I mean, it affects every part of our being. Taking naps. Going on a vacation. Like God's word is having us to have that truth. Peter is writing to a people who are in the midst of persecution. They're fleeing their homes. They're running for their lives. And the, and the most important hope that he can write to them, he says, I write to you a second, a second time. He says, I want to wake you up. The headlines are scary, but don't get distracted by the headlines. Anchor your heart in this truth. Jesus is going to return. That's the invitation of God's word this morning. And so I want to invite our worship team to come, come to the front. I want to ask the lights to be lowered down, and I just want to give us some chance just to respond to the truth of God's word this morning. God's word is very clear. It's repeated over and over. Promises. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. He's going to return. There's evidence of his promises coming to fruition throughout God's word. He says, look here, look here, look here. I, when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And so if you, if you believe that Jesus is going to return, I just want to invite you to think about what's Monday morning going to look like? Like how does the truth of God's word, the truth that Jesus is going to return, how does that shape how... Monday morning looks. I mean, how does that truth shape how we get into God's word? How we pray. How we build relationships with one another. I mean, Jesus is going to return. But we're going to be spending eternity together. Uh, we might want to get to know each other a little bit. Share a meal with one another. Learn our gifts. Right, so that we're living, that every day counts, every minute counts, our life counts. The way he's gifted us, the way he's wired us for his glory, it matters how we live. When we look at our past, the promise of Jesus' return shapes how we look at the pain in our past, the challenges of our present. What's Monday morning going to look like in light of God's word? It's also possible there could be some people here this morning that have yet to trust in Jesus. You've yet to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've grown up around it, around Jesus, around the Bible, around church. So this is an opportunity to you, for you to return to Jesus. Jesus.
to come back to putting Jesus at the center of your lives. The urgency of God's word in 2 Peter, it's too weighty to overlook. There's an invitation that Jesus is Lord. He shapes how I live. And so I want to invite us. We don't do this every Sunday, but I just want to invite you to just close. Let's everybody close our eyes. Bow our heads. And if you want to trust in Jesus today for the first time, if you've never confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that Jesus resurrected from the dead, I want to invite you, just put your hand up in the air. This isn't, you're not raising your hand for me. You're raising your hand for you. You're raising your hand for your commitment to Jesus to put him at the center of your life. The words we're talking about, they're too weighty. They're too important. So if there's anybody who wants to begin a relationship with Jesus today, would you just put your hand up in the air? And so we know we all fall short. None of us live perfect lives. We see our sin. We see what it looks like in our life, and we try to cover it up. We try to mask it. We try to excuse it. We try to overlook it, and none of it works. Jesus is the only one. His covering is the only covering that lasts. And so if there's anyone here that wants to begin, the, the words this morning are too important. This will have people at the back to pray for you. If you still want to think about what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus, I see your hand. Yeah? Is there anyone else? Listen, we, we're going to say a prayer right now. So whether you raised your hand or whether you didn't raise your hand, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, I'm going to say a prayer. There'll be people at the back to pray with you, to talk with you also. But I'm going to say a prayer, and you just repeat after me. And so, Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That Jesus stood in my place. That Jesus took my judgment. And that Jesus conquered it in the resurrection. I believe in Jesus. And I want to follow Jesus all of my life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Listen, if you said that prayer this morning or you didn't say that prayer, we're, we're going to celebrate communion. And so if you prayed to believe in Jesus today, then you're invited to come and celebrate communion with us. We'll invite our elders to come up. Communion is, a, is an outward demonstration of what Jesus has done in our lives. Like this cracker is a symbol of his body. The juice is a symbol of his blood that's been poured out on our behalf. So if you've yet to believe in Jesus, then we ask you to hold off. But if you have, even if you trust in Jesus today, then you come forward. You come forward and you dip that cracker in the juice, and we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate the glorious truth that one day 
Jesus is going to return. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning. Father, I confess I get distracted. I get lulled to sleep. I need to be woken up. And so we thank you for God's word this morning. We thank you for waking us up. Father, help us to cement this truth in our hearts. Help us to follow you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You come forward as you feel led.